The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Oh, jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood. Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. Sorry, it's Runa, 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 Runason. You've, 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 it's just female Runas. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Slap, slap, slap. Les différents podcasts de frappe. Arsenal have been through that mile and a half of pipe like Andy Dufresne in the Shawshank Redemption where you have to see the light at the end of the tunnel. El podcast de golpe diferente. But Arsenal are going through their pipe, like I say. We'll be back. The Different Knock Podcast. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. Welcome back to the Thank Fuck We're Not in the Europa League. Uh, what's it called? Hang on. I don't even know what its name. Europa Conference I literally League. don't even know its name. That's how bad it is podcast with Alexander Moneybay and my very good friend Bradley Adams hello my friend hello my friend how are you my friend I'm good thank you I am good uh, I'm a bit tired but I've got I've got three separate drinks to get me through some what are you lemonade, drinks got some, I've got a cup of tea which my girlfriend made for me for just as I got in I've got a bit of leftover seven up <coughs> for a little bit of a sugar rush to help get me through and I've got an orange and passion fruit squash for the hydration factor. All of them sort of half full. It's because I've been drinking them all at the same time. So I'm like, hey, that's, I'm like chopping and changing. That's the Arsenal outlook at the moment, isn't it? Half full. Oh, hang on. This is such a good segue into what I want to talk about. But I want to, we need to do more podcast small talk first. No, you let's just, just go. Ju- let's just, you can't let's just, just jump go. in. No, 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 no. Brad, because I want to flex it. on people that I've got the new iPhone or something. I want to tell oh, you. Yeah, but, but why? We've got to do... No one... It's the same as the last iPhone. No, it's not. It's better. It's different. Because it's, it's got different a new this number time. on it. It's different this time. <laughs> Mom, it's different. <laughs> didn't you have didn't you have an Android at one point or am I making that up? I I honestly, why I don't know why I did it. Second year of university, I, w- I went to Android and I was I swore blind that it was better and I was lying to myself. I was lying. It's it's the only thing that iPhone has is it's convenient. Like it's an unbelievably convenient phone. And it's it's not good technologically, you know. It's 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 literally pure convenience, and that's why it's done so well. I think I think it is good. To, I mean, it's like it keeps up technologically. I know I know there's like stuff on other phones that's better, but like oh, yeah, I like, just think you'll get an Android that's better technologically. But at the end of the day, most people that want to like if the phone on a, the camera on an iPhone is fine, and if people want a better camera, they'll just buy a fucking camera. They don't need yeah, but their phone got, to be like got a DSLR, cinematic, you know what I mean? It's got cinematic mode, Brad. So I can what I can oh, do wow. is I can I can I can look at it and go, oh that's good, and then go back to my life. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I will never use it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the Different Up Podcast. Welcome, we appreciate guys. you being here. Thanks, guys. Uh, it's the midweek show. There's no football. Uh, Spurs are playing a team that didn't exist the last time they won a trophy. They were formed in 2012. 
Uh, but there has been some good uh, good Champions League stuff. Have you watched any of that? Uh, no, no, unfortunately not. Um, okay, been working, and then uh, me and my girlfriend went to the cinema yesterday because I had a I had a rare, really short day off. I only worked for three hours yesterday. I went to the cinema, got some popcorn. What's wrong with you? Not from the cinema because I'm not a psychopath. I Why snuck you... it in from Sainsbury's. Why weren't you glued to the TV? What's wrong with you? Do you, do you want to know what I did watch? I did actually watch the Brian Crystal Palace game. And I know that was a couple of days ago, but I watched that game. That was a that was an interesting game. Any thoughts on that, Brad, as a football analyst? That um, we're calling as a thoughts? football analyst? Um, I think... Both teams are missing something, which uh, will make, like, uh, I feel like Crystal Palace, they've got a lot of new... Oil money. That's what they're missing. Yeah, that's what they're missing, really. (laughs) Crystal Palace have got a lot of new players in their squad, and you can tell that they're not fully gelled yet. One player to shout out, though, is Mark Guehi. He looks good, like very good. Yeah. On paper, that partnership looks decent, Guehi and Anderson. And Anderson, um, yeah. What were Brighton like? I mean, looking ahead at them, I haven't watched much of them. Hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, it was, it was like a little mini scout report because I saw they were playing and I knew they were our next opponent. So I gave them a watch. Um, they look, they looked in this game be- beatable for me. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're, you know, with the system that they're playing and they've got people like Trossard at points in their own box who gave away a penalty... I feel like if we put strong, if we put out the lineup that we played against Spurs, uh, just with Lukonga for Xhaka, I feel like we we really could have a good time against them. I feel like running at them with pace, you know, they've got Dan Byrne on one side. Um, they've lost a lot of their athleticism with losing Ben White. Um, Basuma's still just a phenomenal player though. But I do just think they're beatable. I think Wasn't playing, if, was he? No, 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 no. But I just mean he might in general. Be back. Yeah. He might be back, so he's a phenomenal player. Um, I do think that they're beatable. I think they're gettable, and I think that if we if we perform anywhere near the way we performed on Saturday, we'll be coming away with three points. So yes, on Saturday, um, yeah. If you if you haven't heard, Arsenal beat uh, Spurs in the North London derby. It's it's not really been mentioned, but uh, we, <laughs> it did happen. Annihilated um, Spurs. Annihilated. Uh, completely. Ruined. Dicked so, down. Something, um, I was listening to a podcast earlier called Football is Nice. Um, yes, I listened to other podcasts and the different podcasts. Can you believe other, that? Press? Other football podcasts as well. Unbelievable. They That's exist, rogue. guys. Can you believe it? They exist. No, they don't. Um, no, they don't, Alex. <laughs> we, are the, oh, we are the only English-speaking football podcast in the world. That's what I heard. Um, <laughs> and the uh, only one run by two white men. Yes, that, yeah, all of them, <laughs> co-hosted by Dave Jacobs and Jacob David. Um, so, uh, uh, Bradley Adams, um, what was I talking about? Yeah, yeah I, football I'm is on nice. every other podcast. Yes, it's all, it's all you. Uh, football is nice with Russell Brand and his producer who, who do a football podcast. And it's a really interesting take because Russell, I really like Russell. I know some people don't like him, but he's very... Um, He's very edifying and um, I feel connected to himself and I think he's very funny um, and kind of gives a sort of different, slightly different perspective on football, a bit more of a kind of a kind of like spiritualist kind of look at football, which I think is really interesting. Anyway, there were, uh, it was a moment where Gareth, it was just sort of a passing comment and Gareth, the producer, said something along the lines of Spurs and Arsenal are the two teams where the narrative changes more than anyone else. And I thought mm-hmm. that is so interesting. That is so... Yep accurate 
because it feels like every single fucking week it's a different narrative. It's you know, and uh, everything spins on a narrative, and we're uh, spins on a dime, and we're part of it, mate. Like you know, I I go 100%. back and I go back and I went back and listened to our um, Postman City. I, I thought it was interesting because I listened to our, our um, I, I listened to all of our podcasts every week, obviously, but this okay. week I, I did some. Uh, oh, um, uh, <laughs> thanks, mate. Um, uh, some great editing work in there. Oh. God, he's, uh, uh, um, what was I talking about? You've, you've thrown me. Oh yeah. So yeah, I, I was listening to back to the five nil one. It's your fault. Um, and like listening to, you know, how downbeat we are. And then literally like, you know, a, de- a week later, we've completely like, and if football is like that, like, I don't, I don't think it's about being like, well, you, you know, should remain as objective as possible and, you know, try and, you know, not let your emotions guide you. Football's an emotional sport. Like the yeah. reason people love it is because it is connected to our emotions. But I do think specifically with Arsenal and Tottenham, we do also have to be aware that all of our reactions are momentary and can drive a narrative. I think it's also because of a couple of things as well. Like, for example, we talk about how elated we were post the Tottenham game. I still am not won around by this regime or by um, this season. You know, we we lost the first three games in pretty appalling fashion. We won our next two in pretty mediocre fashion. And then we've won the last one very well. You know, that doesn't paint a picture for me of a, a good season so far. So I think it's important to say that whilst in the tubulation of winning the North London derby, our comments on that game don't overshadow probably what I would, I would say are our overarching opinions on the current way that Arsenal are being run. And it's important that every Arsenal fan understands that and checks in with that. And the people that really need to have a word with themselves are the ones that flip flop between Mikel Arteta in or Arteta out every, after every game. You know, people who were saying after the City game that he should go and then after the Tottenham game that he should stay are the are the people that really swing the narrative. But I, I do think when it comes to Arsenal and Tottenham being the main two clubs, I think there's a lot of stock to be put in the fact that AFTV, you know, they started their media platform and obviously um, it tended to get not more views when we were doing bad, but like it creates better content for neutrals to watch when you see people just absolutely losing their shit. You know, some of our highest grossing episodes on this are probably where I've absolutely lost my head and said something absolutely bonkers. Our most listened to episode says in the title, Brad is raging. Yeah. You know, so there is a certain stock to be put in that. I've, I, I, and I think that the media itself runs with it. You know, you've, you've got to look at the fact that Sky Sports News created the idea of the big six when Manchester United and Liverpool fell out of qualifying for the Champions League. And now that they're back in qualifying for the Champions League, it's now talk of the top four mm. and the big four mm. or whatever. And I think that um, unfortunately for Arsenal, Spurs have kind of hitched their wagon to us, you know, because they are an irrelevant club. They've not, the, the last, the last trophy they won was a fucking Carling Cup and it was 12 years ago. So for them to even be spoke about in the same conversation, I think comes a lot from the fact that they managed to, in the last five years, leapfrog Arsenal. 
And so people see that as some kind of power dynamic shift, you mm-hmm. know. And I think you've got to you've got to look at how lucky Tottenham have been in, in some yeah. sense, you know. Yeah. Tottenham, I'm not joking when I say Tottenham are the Harry Kane club. Harry Kane had people convinced that Maurizio Pochettino was a world-class manager and that Tottenham, you know, were going places. Now, Poch can't even get a team with Mbappe, Neymar and Messi to play really that well. You know, 2-0 against City flattered them. You know, City dominated that game. And if they had any sort of a striker, would have would have beaten them comfortably. Um, and I think that's probably why you see the narrative shift around those two clubs. Because of the media space that's been taken around those two clubs, you know. What um, I think Adam Cola and um, I think it's like uh, Red Devils or full-time Devils or something uh, has kind of done hitching onto the bandwagon of fan media. You've also got the same with Chelsea. Um, you've got Red Men TV for Liverpool. Mm. I think every club's now got its version, but yeah. the original AFTV, because it is iconic now as like a media platform. And, you know, you've just got to look at Troops. Troops is the biggest and best example of this. Like there are moments if you watch clips of him when he's raging and you see him like look at the camera and then like pull his top mm. down, mm. like to cover himself to make sure he's like, and you know, he's faking it because mm. no one who is truly that outraged cares about mm. how they look. They're care- they're, they're, yeah. It's, you know, there's a, and I think that may be why, but it is absolutely true. The narrative constantly shifts, but I think that's also because currently our club is in such a malleable place. Well, I think it. I, I think you've hit on a, a load of really good points there, uh, and I think something maybe that takes a slightly wider view, um, ironically, considering what I'm about to say, is that it's all about being aware of the lens through which you're viewing it. And the mm. thing is, is 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 like it's. I think the the prevailing narrative in the media. Uh, and the prevailing narratives that you see, and, and it's difficult to define that, but we can all sort of understand, you know, when when things were going on, uh, going badly with Arsenal, um, the pre- prevailing narrative was that it was all going downhill and Mikel Arteta, you know, was going to get fired, et cetera, et cetera. Now the prevailing narrative is Arsenal got a great young manager. I'm seeing BBC Sport articles about Arteta being the next Wenger, right? These yeah. things shift and they're viewed through different perspectives and lenses based on new information and specific information. And I think it's always interesting to ask who that serves. Who does it serve for the prevailing narrative? And usually for these big corporations, it's clicks. And we all know this and all <laughs> understand this. But the problem is, is our media is is fed to us and we, we pick it up and we read it. And if you don't engage that critical part of your brain, which you can't all day, you can't just sit there all day going, what, who does this serve? And what narratives do these, these things form? But, you know, like even my opinions of other clubs, because I don't watch them, I don't particularly engage with them. My opinion of Spurs is all through the vector and lens of Arsenal and Arsenal fans. So I don't have any yeah. good, basically good opinions on him. And I think what, what I would say is like, with the narratives around Arsenal that, that shift so, so quickly, I think mm. that that serves a media space, as you as you point out cleverly, that that kind of depends on that and depends on that kind of shift in narrative and the extremes and the ups and downs to get those clicks. Mm. But it's also viewing it and understanding where you're viewing it from. Are you taking the thirty thousand foot view, as Clive Clive Palmer on the Arsenal Vision podcast would say, the thirty thousand foot view of Arsenal? is that actually we've had, you know, a tenure of, an, of a manager for however many years and, you know, we're going through a difficult period and it should be fine. Or you can take the absolute micro view and go, oh, we lost this game and losing is bad and Arsenal should be out. You have to be aware of what lens you're viewing it yeah. through. And that's yeah. and that's the key part for me. 
because it's both, isn't it? You know, and I think that that's, that's, we're not going to, and I think it's maybe important for us to say to our listeners, I don't know, that we're not going to do a summary of what, um, what percentage Arteta out that we are at the, or in, we are at the end of every episode. Yeah. We're just going to focus on the game itself, dissecting that. And if we're negative about that game, you know, there were probably times if we were, (laughs) there would have been times in the 2003-2004 Invincible season, right? There would have been times if we'd been running the podcast then with our unbroken voices and our inability to wipe our own Welcome asses. Welcome back to the Podcast with um, Alexander. <laughs> um, there would have been times that we would have complained, you know, because even though we, we did that phenomenal feat that no one will ever achieve again, I don't think, of doing the Premier League completely unbeaten, we were dumped out of of the Champions League that season. I think by Chelsea in the in was it the semis or the quarters. We didn't have good cup runs, and you know, twelve draws. We did get twelve draws. We started playing to to draw at points to just not lose games because now we have the, we have the best trophy in the Premier League. Like no, like it's it is the most exclusive trophy in the Premier League. You know. It is so much harder to go a whole season unbeaten, and, and we and we have the luxury of saying that now. But if we'd have been running the podcast then, there would have been negative moments where we say, "Oh, we're focusing too much on this, and now we're getting dumped mm. out of the Champions League, and this and that, and this and that." Because in a moment we can be negative but still have positive thoughts for the future. Yeah, like um, at the start of last season, you know, there were a few negative moments before we hit that bad run, but we I felt that we were still kind of overarchingly confident about moving forward. And then as things got worse, that confidence went. Just like now, after the City game, my confidence in this regime was on the floor. I felt like it was absolutely time for a change in some aspect. And it needed, like you say, to be the end of something. And like we've both agreed, we think it has been the end of something. Um, But... It's also important to know that my confidence is nowhere near back at a hundred percent in these people mm. because we've done nothing near uh, spectacular or, or we're nowhere near the road to recovery. Mm. So it's important to know that within ourselves and to, like you say, to, to kind of acknowledge those moments that okay, we're all we're, everyone who is in football is almost what is almost a swing voter in yeah. politics. <laughs> yeah. You're constantly yeah, 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 yeah. thrashing. Because yeah. that's what football is. Yeah. You score a goal, you jump up. It's the most phenomenal feeling you've ever had in your life. You watch your team concede three to a, a rival and you're dejected and slumped. All of which could happen in the space of 90 minutes. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and this is the thing, mate. Uh, and everyone watches and views football differently. You can't, you can't, you, you, you can try, but you cannot be objective in, in this thing. And And I think to kind of round off this conversation, like, you know, Yes, the narrative shifts all the time and I find it a little bit sort of jarring, but I'm never going to, I'm not going to tell people off for, you know, one minute thinking, you know, the club are the best, best, you know, the best thing in my life and the next minute thinking, oh, fucking hell, you know, where are we going? Because it's an emotional game and, and ultimately it is up to no one to decide how you view football. And I can, we could all, I could just view it from a, well, it's just 22 men kicking a ball around. Well, of course you can view it from that perspective. You can view it from any perspective you want. I just think overall, it's a, it's a kind of important thing to recognise 
what lenses we view them from. How have we, mm. how have you, uh, you listener, how have you, Brad, how have I, Alex, arrived at these at these opinions? Do you know what I mean? How, what, what, what is in my life and why do I, why do I view football through that vector? Is it because it's an enjoyment thing for me? Is it a catharsis thing for me? And, and being aware of that. And I think that just allows a kind of understanding for me, I've found anyway, that an understanding of like, oh, okay, I see how that narrative's formed. I see what that's serving. It just gives a bit more clarity, I guess, which is all everyone really wants. Uh, yes. Anyway. Um, <laughs> end of anyway, my section. friend. Um, yes, yes. Narrative, narrative, narratives. Uh, sort of small bit of news. I mean, obviously everyone knows. It's not small. It's actually quite significant. Uh, Xhaka's injury, three months uh, ligament damage. Um, yeah, look, look, it's an opportunity for Sambi and Maitland-Niles. I have to say I'm a bit disappointed. We're like, a, we're a, I mean, we're a Thomas Party injury away from being in serious trouble. But I think yeah. this, this moment makes comments that Eddie made in the summer about how we didn't need a, another central midfielder coming in because of Xhaka seem stupid because, you know, as much as we believe in the long time, long term future of Samuel Conga, whether we believe in the long term future of Maitland Niles at centre mid, or we, you know, I forgot that El Nenny even existed. Um, you know, we've still got four possible options How? for central midfield. How could you forget our boys? It's, <laughs> it's just about the quality of those options, and I, I believe that you know, uh, conga has got a bright future, but is he ready, and is he what we need right now? I'm not entirely sure when you're saying that he's going to be there for three months. And then when you consider the fact that, you know, Thomas Partey's going to AFCON in January. So we're now not going to see our first choice double pivot if we're going to stick in the 4-2-3-1 until February, Mm. which is over five months away. It's really concerning. And it's really stupid from Arsenal not to get another central midfielder in. And we were crying out for that in the summer. Well, I mean, again, based on the conversation we just had, you know, one moment f- spins that, and it's either it's it was it was fine not to, or it of was course, stupid but not again, to, but but it's we, happened, we, and it, it therefore exactly, therefore you know therefore we should we, have got one. They, this is what the yeah. club needs to plan for. They need to plan for those things, especially when you know Thomas Partey's injury record at Arsenal hasn't been great. You know, it's all well and good us going, oh yeah, you know, things happen in 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 moments like you know, well we what we we won and lost the Champions League or the Premier League in one moment, but it's a this is a big moment and this is a big thing. Yeah, and you have to. Pre- Prepare your squad no, exactly. for the potential of a of a major injury, and exactly. we we aren't really prepared for that. Yeah, you have to prepare for all outcomes, and, and we're not. Um, th- yeah, uh, yeah. I, I also think the kind of the reason I think it's more significant, and a reason I'm slightly more concerned about it, I think than most people I've seen, is because I think there's this sort of feeling with Arsenal at the moment of a new Arsenal, which is great with young players and all that sort of stuff, and thinking, well, just another one of them will step up. We've got we've got Sambi, we've got Maitland-Niles, fine. Maitland-Niles isn't young, but I still think of him in, in that sort of category. I don't think he's really made that step up yet. And you've got to remember, with young players comes mistakes. And the re- as we've discussed before, the reason, you know, people like Smith Rowe and Saka are, are special, special players. And we, and we may have another one in Sambi, but it's special mentally being able to step in and be at that level and be playing like a 28 year old at 21 
where you have to, and ultimately we're probably going to pay the price for having a 21 year old in the midfield for the next three months, basically, because he will make Absolutely. mistakes. It's his first season in the Premier League. He'll learn. It's but... that, it's that old, of course he will, but it's that old, that old Wenger thing about the centre backs. It's, you know, it'll cost yeah. him points, but you might get a better player. And it's a payoff, but we all also have to remember that like, it's 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 not that it's Sambi's fault necessarily that he's making the mis- it is his fault as and he's doing them on the pitch. But we also have to realise that he's been put in a position where a 21 year old who should have been you know making cameo, cameo appearances option. and rotation options yeah. has probably going to be put into a situation. And I can imagine there's going to be a little bit of friction about this over the next couple of months. Yeah, 100. percent And it's yeah, I think that's why I, I I kind of brought up Edu's comments because it this is going to make him look stupid. You know, coming out and saying in the media, oh, we don't need another central midfielder because we've got Xhaka and we've got Party. you know, and now Xhaka's gone. And if if Lukonga does have a bit of a torrid time over the next couple of months, it's, it's going to be very, very hard for him to kind of get himself out of that hole that he's dug himself. Um, and I think one thing to, to note that's important is, you know, this whole idea of um, playing young players to to kind of get them to learn and, and blah, 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 is absolutely true. But one one thing that we have to really look at is the amount of those players we have in our team. We're already seeing little mistakes from, from really young players, Ben White being one of them, you know, at, at points. I think he's had some phenomenal games, but we are seeing little mistakes here and there. We're going to see little mistakes here and there from... Uh, Ramsdale, you know, yep, we saw that that's gonna the happen. under hit that we saw the under hit pass to Xhaka. We we we're now in a situation where we have so many of our players who are these kind of young, youthful, exuberant players, which is phenomenal. But they will make mistakes, and you do need a certain amount of seasoned professionals in there to cover for those. Right. And we don't have them now. We've lost. Yep. We we had three. We've now lost one. And Jacker and Party, big big hit. Yeah, and Jacker and Party not only being two of those, but being in the centre of, yes. of everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, you've got one one on the right, one on the left, one to help Saka out and White out in the sense of like they're literally just positionally around them, and we've now lost that. That's a that's a big big loss, and you know, I don't think either of us would have wanted. Uh, another 28 year old to be signed for it for a, for our central midfield this summer i think you know we'd want somebody like bruno gimaraes who's like 23 sorry excuse me um it's all the lemonade mate it all is seven it up is. <laughs> um but at least there's a level of rec- like requisite quality that has been proven at like pretty much a champions league or europa league level for yeah. a consistent number of years yeah, in yeah. a you know top 5 league and we'd feel a bit more comfortable with that you know? yeah look they're the dads of the team um and and you know there's i'm sure there's some kind of when dad's not there kind of metaphor but uh let's not go down that road um i th- I, I yeah i just i just think um I just think it's a, it's a shame. I don't really have uh, you know much more to say on it, and I think also something you hit on as well with like Ramsdale and those kind of mistakes. With a young team, we're gonna have days like we had on Sunday, which is why like I was so keen for everyone to just enjoy it, yeah. um, and enjoy that. And I hope everyone did, and I hope everyone's still soaking up the content because it was a great fucking day. I've must have watched the highlights about four hundred times at this point. But go watch them again. It's fucking great. Oh, yeah. the serotonin. 
It's unbelievable. We're going to have days like that, but we're also going to have days where Ramsdale will make a mistake. Tomiyasu will make a mistake. Tierney is 20. Tierney's only 24 and he seems like a senior member of the team. Yeah, he's, gonna, he's still going to make mistakes. you know. And it's not to say that 28, 29-year-old players don't make those mistakes. It's just they've made more of them and therefore have learned from them. And that's just time. Yeah. And you can't bar, you can't, you can't change that. Um, no, 100%. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it is concerning. And I just hope that the, the kind of goodwill that the club have kind of earned themselves over the last um, couple of weeks slash mainly very on Sunday. very little yeah, goodwill. Slash mainly on Sunday. Uh, yeah. yeah the, the, I just hope it's, it's remembered and we are all aware of where we are. Um, oh. And don't get too far ahead of ourselves because I think I think I think Absolutely. a, a Jacker injury could help derail that, and that's a concern. Absolutely, and when you you know when you consider the Burnley game, we won that literally by by a moment of magic, free kick. We are going to see a lot of those kinds of games where people like Saka, Smith Rowe are picking the wrong pass, picking the wrong move. And we just have to hope that we're lucky enough that then the mistakes in midfield or at the back don't come in those same games. So we don't give up opportunities at the back whilst not being able to create them at the front. We should just play Spurs every week, mate. Yeah, it'd be fucking great. Did you see that Jamie Carragher analysis? Everywhere they go, mate. Did you see the Jamie (laughs) Carragher analysis? I mean, to be fair, if you haven't seen it, could just it put was in hopeless. Just they put were in, hopeless. Just put in Jamie Carragher Spurs, and it's the one that says, um, "Was it like less space on the moon or something?" There's less space on the moon than you see in that midfield for Tottenham. <laughs> it's brilliant, right, Brad? Should we do it? Let's do it, mate. Welcome to Profiles. So this is a new thing that Brad and I want to do. Uh, we had to think about what we want to do with this kind of mid-week podcast and we think there's some really interesting stuff while Arsenal are on in Europe that we can start to do uh, just get to know more about the club expand our own knowledge expand hopefully the listeners knowledge um, and yeah just all kind of learn together and one of the things we want to do is start to profile um, players coaches potentially people you know in the game who 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 have some kind of impact on Arsenal in some way um, and this week we wanted to start with the coaches so we're going to do there's six first team coaches or sort of assistant managers or coaches or whatever. And we're going to do three. Brad and I take a three each. Uh, we'll do three this week. I'll do two. Brad will do one. And then we'll do the reverse at some point soon. Um, I, I don't know about you, Brad, but in researching it, I've learned so much. So much. So, so much about how the the team training is set up, about methodology and also about the mentality that they seem to be creating within not only the group of players but the group of coaching staff like it's really interesting it's, it's ironic right but it's actually gotten me really into this regime yeah like yeah. i think like like looking at it i'm like yeah as in like if this starts to pay off on the pitch i'm like this this could work beautifully yeah, and it's fascinating because it's not something that's <laughs> chef's kiss. It's not something that really tends to be discussed in in kind of mainstream media about like back backroom staff, you know, all that sort of stuff. But you know, interestingly, Mikel talks in his post match and pre match. He says we, you know, he says oh we wanted the best team. So it's clearly a team of people. And then if we're placing so much analysis onto the individuals who make those ultimately responsible for those decisions, and we should, we should also look into the people who are around them making those decisions. Um, and I want to start 
with Albert Steuvenberg. So if you don't know who Albert Steuvenberg yes, yeah. is, he's the guy who has AFS on his shirt and he uh, is the guy with the AirPod in. Uh, rumor is he's listened to the Different Not podcast. That's what I've heard. But um, uh, yeah. So quick conjecture, Claxon here. Warning. It's true. Conjecture he is listening to the Different Not podcast for Bradley's amazing tactical insights <laughs> and hot takes. Um, so he's a Pisces. No. Uh, so we'll do a little bit of like a, a profile. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> wanker. Because um, I think it's interesting. Then we'll have a little discussion. So he's fifty-one. He's Dutch. Uh, he did. Uh, he was at Feyenoord uh, with the youth team, but he had to retire at 19. 19. Fucking hell. Because uh, he had cruciate uh, ligament damage. And uh. he was he was trying to recover from it for three years before he managed to, he basically decided he wanted to to um, to quit, which must fucking suck. Imagine like being 19 years old, essentially waiting for your football career to start and having to, oh mate, it'd be horrible. And rehabbing um, for three years. Yeah. And, you know, <sighs> creates a certain type of person you know a, a really specific you know trauma at that age you know something he mm. clearly would have been working through his whole life you know i think sometimes you kind of read a fact and you go oh he just you know he retired but actually no, no there's a real person behind that you know and, and this there's guy, a story behind it yeah yeah so he's he's faced you know that's that's an incredibly difficult thing something else that stovenberg has piqued my interest in is i've long had the sort of opinion that basically arteta has no real managerial experience around him it's not true mm. Stoivenberg managed Genk in 2017. Ah. And he had a... Uh, 40- Listeners, I'm, I'm learning as well. I've, <laughs> I've heard none of this. Uh, so. He got them to the quarterfinals of the Europa League. And with a 47.9% win percentage, I think he only got, I think he only lost 10 games out of like 50, but he got fired. Uh, interestingly, he worked with Sander Burge. Another thing, it's like, you know, you kind of hear transfer targets and you hear like links with the club and you wonder like where that's come from, potentially could that's be. Gonna come up, that's going to come up again later as well. Okay, it's interesting. so interesting. Also, and other kind of managerial experience, he was pre- previously assistant manager to Louis van Gaal uh, with United in 2014. Uh, he was obviously manager, uh, not obviously, he managed uh, Ryan Giggs. He managed Ryan Giggs, that's what he did. He's done a very bad job. <laughs> <laughs> he's done a terrible job of managing Ryan Giggs oh, he managed uh, the Wales team for the 2018 World Cup assistant managed uh, with uh, with Ryan Giggs uh, before that he was uh, final head of youth he coached Robin Van Persie um, and then he moved to Abu Dhabi in 2004 that was for 13 years and he moved to Abu Dhabi in 2004 and came back to head up the national teams in uh, the Netherlands of the under 17s and the under 21s and think of that that national team who I think were in the World Cup final in 2010. So he's had a hand in quite a lot of those kind of kind of players. Um so yeah, a lot of a lot of managerial experience, which I mm. and and in different places, different kind of setups, club, country, that sort, of, that sort of stuff. Yeah. The one thing that I do love about him is he's pissed off he's pissed off Mourinho, which, you know <laughs> if, if if we're gonna warm to someone, it's because they've pissed off Mourinho, right? So in the summer, he left his Wales role to focus fully on Arsenal, as in this summer, 2021. But in November 2020, I'm not sure if you remember this, but Mourinho had a bit of a dig at the fact that Stoivenberg was uh, assistant managing uh, Wales while Gareth Bale was there. And he said he didn't feel, he said he feels deeply uncomfortable with the fact that Gareth Bale um, was uh, was being managed by Stoivenberg and uh, and obviously he was at Arsenal. Um so yeah, I mean, a lot of kind of like potential jumping off points there. There's something I do want to focus on is it's like who who at the club is equipped to develop this young team? 
like seriously who's who's had the development mm. time who's who's done that and i think steve Ra- i haven't profiled steve Ram. perhaps you can enlighten us but stoivenberg is someone who spent a lot of time working with young players a lot of time this is a guy who's 51 you know and you know you think at 51 oh there's only had sort of 15 years maybe of, of coaching experience no no he's had 30 years of coaching experience yeah. of working with young players and that is a lot of experience to bring to the training ground i think something that i've i've been maybe concerned about is like you know the kind of the the regime relying so much on young players and relying on that kind of um that kind of dynamic and relying on all of the the young players to come good and who's and actually relying so much on a young manager as well exactly and who's actually around to to know when a young what, like what what it's like to to coach and develop young players and we do have that and we also have the managerial experience which i think is i'm not saying it's you know it's it's genk in the europa league it's not you know it's not champions league level or it's not you know top level in, in england but it's also something that we discussed before and said he needs more around him and i didn't know that and um, maybe that's having an impact no it's, it's it is fascinating to to kind of hear and understand that um and I, it's absolutely right i think with such a young team and a young manager i don't i don't look at um how do i put this i don't look at the 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 kind of staff that are in the forefront as in Edu or Vinay or Josh or Mikel. And I go, these are people who have, like you say, serious experience in developing young players. You know, there are players, there are managers out there who you go, oh my God, that guy is perfect to work with a young squad. But it is great to hear that that there are different ideas and well-experienced people around him. And that's something that kind of I found out from my time researching some other people as well you don't actually understand the amount of experience that's in that back room. And it's, it is, yeah, it's just fascinating to hear. It's, it's yeah. brilliant. And experience at the Premier League as well, you know, working with Louis van Gaal um, and Louis van Gaal handpicked him as someone who, who'd worked in the Dutch, Dutch setup and he really wanted him in the Premier League. And let's not rewrite history. Van Gaal did quite well at United. It went downhill quite quickly, but there was a while where he was doing quite well. So he's been in a positive um, positive dressing room in that way in the Premier League. He's also been there when it's gone wrong. Um, yeah, I just I just think like, certainly I going into it had a kind of perception uh, of Stoifenberg as, you know, just someone. But I think, you know, just a guy. But you, you don't necessarily kind of realise the experiences that these people can bring and the, the level uh, that they've got to, unless you look into them. Obviously, that's literally what we're doing. But more the point that, like, what what can that bring to the team? What can that mean? Yeah. And how does that... Sorry, it's just my new iPhone. Um, what can that... Uh, <laughs> I didn't plan that, I promise. Um, uh, yeah, so what can they bring to the team? But more, more crucially, kind of how that impacts on Arteta and decision-making and the fact that they've been there before and done it. And, like, the, all those things contribute to a healthy culture. Um and this kind of feeling of like a load of rookies maybe is kind of starting to to sort of fade fade a little bit, and I, and I like that. Mm. I like that, which is a positive and a negative, because the positive to being inexperienced or a rookie is you have that excuse to fall back on. Like for example, I think if Arteta is is somebody with a much longer CV, his stint might have been cut short a while ago. But I think he's been given some leeway because of his kind of inexperience to grow, which is, you know, a positive thing. But then obviously, negatively, 
is is kind That's of the some other growth. Side of that coin. It's important. It's it's it's, it's important for Pisces. <laughs> oh jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under twenty thousand dollars. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. Yeah, definitely. Uh, do you want to go? Yeah, cool. Let's go. So I'm going to do Inyaki Kanya, who... Uh, again, was one of these people that joined uh, as this kind of three assistant coach thing, but he's actually the goalkeeping coach. Uh, and for anyone, I don't know if any of our listeners play football or, or are goalkeepers, he actually has a YouTube channel in which there's a lot of footage oh, of, I didn't know that. Um, of the Brentford training when he worked at Brentford. So uh, he worked at Brentford under Dean Smith and their current manager, Thomas Frank. And uh, he's got a lot of a lot of training videos up there and like drill exercises and stuff. So if any any of you do play and you want to steal some of his methods or ideas, head over there. It's a really interesting insight to how involved he actually is in the training. He is the person kicking the ball for these people. Can I just jump in? Giving them insights. Yeah, go very quickly. Really interesting. I think three of the coaches have come that we're going to talk about have come from Brentford. It's really interesting, and as they're seen as a kind of club that are forward thinking and do hire smart. I think it's an interesting kind of, kind of, kind of pickup. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now there are some negatives in my opinion, currently to Inyaki. He's gotten a few things wrong. Uh, and I think firstly, I want to start with some quotes from, from a really interesting article I, I read about him, um, about transfer business. Now, um, obviously, this gives like real, it, really incredible insight into how transfer targets are picked. And a lot of it comes from Arteta really getting the opinions and believing in the opinions of the people around him who are more specialized than him. In the sense that with every single goalkeeper that we've targeted in David Rea, because we targeted him, um, Runa Runason. And Sorry, it's Ramsdale. Runa, 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 Runason. You've, 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 you've there Runas. we go. Yeah. All three of them were Inyaki Kanya's suggestions. And one of the big reasons uh, we apparently spent so much money on Ramsdale is Kanya pushed hard for that deal. Really wanted that deal to go through, which is, I think, is, is kind of currently his, his current saving grace. Uh, the thing where he kind of falls back for me, there's a couple of decisions through his time there that's been made, but I just want to read these quotes from Arteta first to kind of cement that. Arteta says, it goes down to what I expect from my staff at the end of the day. I bring in staff with very specific qualities to add to what we're trying to do. And then I give them the responsibility because I want them to be accountable for the tasks that I give them and the clear roles that I have to give them. When it comes down to the goalkeeper, Kanya has a big say on how we are going to implement our methodology, how we're going to train them, and how we're going to treat the goalkeeping position in short, medium, and long term. I have big faith in Inyaki, as I do with the rest of the staff here. I will take into 
I will take that into the medical department with the physios, the kit man and every department that is here. They have much more expertise than me. I want to control them. I want to make sure they share their values and and the direction we want to take. So it's really interesting that he basically hires people, like very specialist people. You know, we've got a set piece coach to work on those things and really puts faith and stock in this opinion. Mm. And, and the kind of, from all my research, the picture that this has painted is, for me, there is not one manager of Arsenal in the sense that the coaching staff seems to play such a role and, you know, we're only doing three today, but we'll come on to talk about other other people who, who again, do such specific things that they have such a role within this club that it's almost a disservice to them to completely discount them from the conversation. Um, but yeah, so he came over from Brentford in where he had worked with uh, David Rea. He'd also worked with uh, Alex Runa, 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 Runason. There's one with Runa. Uh, oh, God. Um, I think it was a Swedish club previously and that's why we were linked to those two players um and he had recommended both of them i think we probably ended up going with runison because of the financial implications of the deal him obviously being much 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 cheaper um but there's a couple of really really interesting facts uh kind of coming later in his arsenal career which um was when it came to the decision we we throw a lot of heat at arteta and Edu for the sale of Emi Martinez. One thing that's really interesting to note is Inyaki Kanya was asked, according to an interview that I have somewhere, to help basically decide who to keep and was a massive influence in the decision of sticking with the number one of Leno and get, and selling Martinez on. Which we obviously know now, with the benefit of hindsight, that that's the that was the wrong decision. But mm. I just I find that interesting that such a big, big decision has been kind of quoted out into the press as as kind of just this goalkeeping coach having such sway and such impact. And also on that, making the wrong choice from a goalkeeping perspective. I mean, it's very clear. Um, listen, I'm not going to pretend I'm a goalkeeping expert, but it's very clear where the game's going and it's not to yeah. burn Leno's skill set. So that's an interesting, yeah. That's that's a real negative for me. I look at that mm. and I go, well, you're the goalkeeping coach. You should really. But one thing to note is he spent a lot of time working from David Rea and I sent you videos of him when I was saying, we need to sign this guy of David Rea. Do you remember when he's doing those like long diagonal kicks? Yes, on both you, feet? you were fucking upset. You you were horny Mate, for him for about six that's months. Kanya. That's Kanya's work. That's his stuff. So he, he, I think it came down to more of a situation where maybe he believed he could teach Leno how to distribute better. And if you actually look at clips from Leno uh, during his first kind of stint at Arsenal under Emery and when he'd first joined versus to Arteta, his distribution has gotten a lot better. It's just not, it's the decision-making that's the main issue. Yeah, and you can't really teach that. So just to jump in on that as well, like, because my kind of uh, understanding of the Leno Martinez thing was that there was no, there was there was no offer on the table for Martinez, sorry for Leno, and that's why the decision was made. And it came from a kind of business standpoint. And maybe that's still true. But if Kanye gave the green light and said, like, look, we want to keep Leno over, over Martinez from a goalkeeping perspective, 
that is concerning. I mean, listen, like, it who knows? It could be a mixture of all of the things. Who knows what the real it, information is, but, you know. It could be a mixture of everything. It could be they had a decent offer for Martinez. They didn't have an offer for Leno. And they said, and Kanya believes in himself enough to go, okay, well, we've got the offer for Leno. Let's sell for Martinez, sorry. Let's move on Martinez and I'll keep working with Burned to improve the distribution side of things. Burned, which baby, he has. Burned. Um, but on Leno, kind of my last point about him, uh, is that Leno at one point last season complained to the hierarchy and the club about Kenya's training methods and actually refused to train with him for a while. Interesting. Uh, to which then nothing was done. Kenya was still in his role and Leno was made to go back to training with him. So there is obviously a big belief in the abilities and qualities of this man. You know, whilst Runa Runa Runason was a dud. It's not enough. I think that seems to be a deal that was made from a financial point of view, because it would have cost a, a million, lot more. It was a million pounds. Like, yeah, and it would have cost a hell of a lot more to get Raya out of Brentford at that point. Um, and then the second goalkeeping decision he's made, Ramsdale has been so far a, a good success. So it's with the kind of decisions on the table, it's a bit 50-50. There's a couple of things that get, make me go, ooh. But then if you, I, I really would like, uh, if you if people are interested, I, I, I don't know, I, I don't know how many times I've actually said on this, I play in goal. I watched about an hour's worth of footage um, of him doing training and it's fascinating. Working on, on slightly little things and, you don't really hear a lot. It's you, you mainly see drills, but just look at the intricacies of the drills and what they're set up to do. It, it's, it is brilliant. Um, what, sort so, of, yeah. what sort of stuff are they doing? So um, you've got like one of them that I watched on the bus home was uh, you have three people shooting. Uh, so you have two, two little goals, three people with balls. So you have kind of straight on, on the right and on the left and uh, keeper prepares themselves. And at any point, Kanye will gesture to one side or himself and that person will shoot and that keeper then has to make the decision and it's 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 kind of constantly on your toes and and how to react quickly to situations it's like I don't know if you've ever seen it it reminds me of there's a there's an F1 training thing where they 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 teach you reaction speed and it's that you they um it's with tennis balls and I, I think I, I have seen that yeah there's like they drop tennis balls and you have to catch them and it's it's all about like reaction time and reaction speed, um, yeah. And there's some really really interesting stuff on there. I I, I really implore. Maybe I'll send you some links. Yeah, um, go for it. And I implore if if anyone's interested to go and have a look at it, um, because I think from a training point of view and from uh, uh, just a just a kind of improving point of view, he's definitely improved Burn Leno's distribution. I watched some clips of him when he first came, and it's like basically just lumping the ball. There's no direction and there's no action to it. It's just kicking it long. Mm. And then you look at it now and it, it actually, there is direction. Whilst, okay, the decision making's not there and he makes the wrong decisions. Most of the time he's he's a lot more accurate than he once was. So the training is obviously working. I, uh, I think it is also just a question if you can't teach, teach old dogs new tricks in that Leno is the goalkeeper that he is. Mm. okay it was the wrong decision to sell emmy but at, at least we're now seeming to make good decisions in the in the people that we're bringing into the club and i'm really excited to see how somebody like ramsdale who is he he's 23 right 
Yeah, who, a, tw- a young 23-year-old keeper with great qualities is going to grow under this man. Yeah. Because we're already at a situation where he's now breaking into the England squad. If he claims the number one shirt for Arsenal and performs really well this season, there's no reason why he couldn't be number one for the World Cup. Why not? Stranger things have happened, mate. Uh, something I, uh, I can't remember where I heard it, but someone made a comment and I'd never considered this before. You know, when a goalkeeper, and this is the thing about like goalkeeping, it's just not something you really talk about much the they, they were talking about the flight of the ball and whether the ball goes higher or like how high you want to kick the ball before it comes down on the opponent's head or on your on your um sorry on your teammate's head and considering if the ball's coming from a slightly sort of more vertical angle if you imagine i'm doing again gestures on an audio platform apologies but like if it's coming from a more vertical angle i.e like not coming sort of more straight towards you it's going to be a little bit easier for a potentially a smaller person to win the header than a ball coming sort of straighter at you because you're going to be able to like it like there's there's more possibilities of where the ball might go because it's coming down I don't know. It's just it's just a really interesting like thing to consider. Like even just the idea mm-hmm. of like how high you want to kick the ball, or do you want to sort of almost like yeah. skim it through the air? It's, it's just it's just really interesting because um, you know someone will be able to win a physical battle in the second case. And yeah, I don't know. It's just it's very very interesting, and um, it's a whole it's, world. It's the difference. It's the difference between those those sliced balls from that that training video that I sent you, and and kind of really long punts that you've seen. Mm. You know, because somebody like Lacazette, for example, if he gets one of those sliced balls through, he's much more likely to be able to claim that ball on his chest or flick it on um, than if he's competing with fucking Dan Byrne in the air with one of those long lumped balls for a header. And it's it's tactical choice as well, whether you want to lump it long and um, try and attempt and wait for the second ball and try and win that second ball knowing you're not going to win the first. Yeah. Um, but what, what, what is fascinating and what I'm really excited about is the training side of things. Like it looks, it looks positive. Yeah. Uh, and, that, and, and that's the other thing, isn't it? It's like when your number one goes to the executives and says, I'm not happy with the coaching staff and that doesn't, and nothing changes. It tells you something about the guy. It tells you something about the influence he has. It tells you something about the, how, the way he's regarded. And look, he may be being regarded by the wrong people who don't actually know. And therefore he's kind of just getting away with it. But I don't know. I, 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 I get the sense that Inyaki Kanya has a lot of influence and certainly on the goalkeeping stuff. And, and, and those comments from Arteta are really interesting. I think, you know, this idea of him as, as a kind of dictator, um, you know, just isn't true. Well, it just isn't true. Well, well, listen, you know, we have perceptions of him and I'm sure he is in some ways and I'm sure he isn't in others and therefore it makes him an average guy. So like, you know what I mean, you can, you can pick up on kind of any kind of narrative, but it is interesting to hear that, that's the way he speaks about them publicly and then there will be a different thing internally. So let us move on to the final person of the round. So the final one I want to talk about today is Miguel Molina. So Miguel Molina joined at the same time as Carlos Cuesta uh, last summer. Um, he's a professional racing driver. No, uh, he is. Uh, he There is actually a professional racing driver called Miguel Molina. Um, I, I also, how tragic is this, right? I wrote an article about Miguel Molina and Carlos Cuesta and I made... I thought I I googled Miguel Molina and saw the racing driver and thought, oh, isn't it funny he could be confused with a racing driver? Went on my article and I'd made the joke a year ago. Fuck's sake! Uh, look, Miguel Molina is a thinker, mate. 
he's a thinker. He's um, where is it? He's got a degree in sport and exercise science from the Polytechnic University of Madrid. He's worked as a high performance academy coach. He's published papers. Um, the main thing that he's useful for, so he's he's useful. Uh, he's worked in loads and loads and loads of academies. I'm talking Villarreal, Celta Vigo, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Ajax, Bayern Munich, PSG, Schalke. Like he's been around. He's got himself around and learned lots of different things. There's something. Can I just cut in there? Go on. I just want to find. There's a fact that I want to find that also relates to Carlos Cuesta. That so within Spain as well. I think we need to understand how elite these people are. So within Spain, there are 20,000 licensed coaches and 400 professional positions. Wow. These people that are dotting around, even for B teams or youth teams, yeah. are working in what, what, I don't even, I can't, what percentage is that? Go on. Like, do you want me to bring back? Give it a Google. Give it a Google. I don't know. There's something don't, like don't it's half something heart ridiculous. It. Give it a Google. Google. What? Need to, I, I, how do how do I work out the percentage? I don't 20, know. 000, I've spent, divided by four hundred. Honestly, mate, I'm. Oh, so it's one in every fifty. Yeah. So you got a one in fifty chance. One in every fifty licensed professional coaches in Spain, and that's in Spain alone. Yeah, are working. Yeah. That's how elite these yeah. people are. They're elite of the elite. Um, and Miguel Molina, I, I, there's very little about him. I don't even know how old he is. I mean, he's sort of young. Um, but uh, the most interesting part I found was that basically uh, there's an article that talks about him being an expert in tactical, tactical periodization. <sighs> okay, I've tried to understand this. Anyone who's into football, apologies for this. <laughs> butchered explanation. Basically, it's 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 very simply a training methodology is what it is it's basically deciding basically basic i'll say basically again to indicate that maybe Just a couple I, have more understand, times. I have an understanding when i don't a basic understanding and let me recommend you classic me a tfo video just put in tactical periodization will explain it much better than me but i need to explain it to talk about the next thing it's a training methodology whereby the coach and the coaching team have to decide the best way of setting out their training and what they do in training, right? Really simple. And the way they do that is putting it all in a tactical framework. So they go, right, we want to play out from the back, play with high wing backs. We want to counter press. We want to go, whatever your, whatever your style is. Right. Um, and then they decide how they want to implement that into training and it's all basically the art of doing that so let me give you an example for example if you're playing so it could it could focus slightly more on the opposition or focus on yourself depending on the coach's kind of proclivities but say you're playing Burnley at the weekend you go right what do we need for Burnley this weekend when should our most intense session be what technique should we be focusing on this week what sort of stuff and it's team shape and patterns and all that sort of stuff and the stuff you kind of basically understand from from what a coach would do but the sort of the technique behind that and crucially putting it all in a tactical framework so basically going right so we want to play out from the back so is there any point us for example doing shuttle runs as a warm-up no it's like finding the most important thing to be training really being specific and honing in on exactly what is being trained transmitting that to the players and it's a really like we once you delve into it it's a really interesting kind of sport it's a uh, uh, methodology sorry it's characterized by micro meso and macro cycles 
stick with me. Micro would be like a specific training session. Meso would be a game and macro would be a season. So imagine a sprinter. Okay. Their long-term goal is like win the Olympics. Their, uh, what would it be? The whole Olympics. Just to win the whole Olympic, to, to take over the Olympic committee. That's their goal. Um, a uh, what would be the meso would be like a competition, like a series of races, and a micro would be like a, a again a training session. It's like how do you break these things up and like ensuring that they're all working in tandem, all based on this tactical framework. I hope that makes sense. It's a really interesting thing. Again, go watch the Tifa video for a much better explanation. But I think it's fascinating, and uh, and I have a quote from Miguel Molina here. <clears throat> From my experiences as a co- no, from my experiences as a coach at Let's Go to Madrid, and from conversations with coaches at other academies where he's been, I've arrived at the conclusion that the most important thing we do is develop an understanding of the footballer as a human being, how he relates with others in different contexts, and this is an, a really interesting part of tactical periodization because it combines everything. It combines fitness, psychology. Uh, sports science, uh, latest training methods, and all that stuff into the training methodology. So you're trying to fit them all in and having conversations and not, and it's almost like the, the linking person between every department who's putting things in and ensuring the training sessions are as efficient and, and as, uh, have as much sort of bountiful fruit impact, impact yeah. as, as possible. Um, and I think it's fascinating because, because if that's his kind of primary, Primary statement. He's also been called um, an individual development coach. I think that's more Carlos Cuesta's kind of kind of vibe, but it's more kind of understanding the best training methodologies and and making people fit for purpose. Something that frustrates me in my own personal life is like we're actors, right? And we wouldn't go out on stage and do a really heavy dance show, for example, uh, without doing a physical warm up. But sometimes I've been in shows where there's a specific outcome, say a, a really word or text heavy show, let's say, and there's no work on like articulation. There's no, there's no work on like warm up of the, of the like articulators. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's like being specific yeah. about what you're warming up. And that's a very specific example, but it's more like training as an idea, you know, intensity, managing load, all that sort of stuff. And having one of the brightest young minds in the game who's worked everywhere, coming in and 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 bringing his ideas i think is really exciting um tactical periodization is something that uh Mourinho and rogers um have been big champions of um Mourinho sort of not bought the idea about but sort of first sort of brought everything together under one roof it sort of originally came from um uh bobby robson at barcelona and sort of came through there um so yeah i just i just think it's a really uh, again another as we discussed at the beginning of the beginning of the podcast another perspective on football another way of looking at things another little bit of information that might change a perspective um and yeah miguel Molina is a, a big a big kind of proponent of that i think one thing that's important to say as well is from everything that i've read on my three people and everything i've heard from your two people is we seem to be getting individual experts in their field like Kanya for example was lauded as an expert goalkeeping coach when he came in and took over from our last goalkeeping coach Salbibio or Salbibo Salbibo yeah uh yeah so Salbibio it's <laughs> Bibio. it's massively positive that not only are we searching out experts but one thing that I think that I've noticed is a pattern and I'll talk about it a bit more in the next episode we are building in the same way a youthful squad 
uh, we're building a youthful setup behind the scenes. In no way are any of these people old. I think um, Inaki Kenya is something like 43, I think, maybe? You're looking at a very young setup. And that's a choice and, a, and for a reason. And we seem to be creating this mentality around the club. And it, you know, it's hopefully going to work. And at points, I think it, it has worked. Um, it is just really interesting to see how almost intrinsically linked the the way that we're setting up our backroom is the way that we're setting up our yeah. squad. It's the, it feels, I, find that, I find that interesting. Well, it's a, it's a clear methodology and it's a clear ideology. And I think that's yeah. that's really exciting and, and bringing together, because as we discussed before, we've got to look at ourselves. Where are Arsenal right now? Can we attract the best coaches? No. But can we attract the best coaches in five, ten years' time? Yeah, I hope so. Can we attract the best players right now? Not really. Can we attract the best players in five, ten years' time? Absolutely. So, you know, and 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 through that, it's not always going to be perfect. People will leave, you know, it's going to happen. But if you have that kind of idea those things the cycles the cycles come i think that you know we, we discussed uh maybe last time about the per murtisaka interview uh on the beautiful game podcast and he talks about he's got a 10 year view of the academy and what's what's meant to be happening and and has a very clear um uh he's he has almost like a point system of like you know when players from the academy graduate from the academy get sold for a certain amount or play in premier league in important games you know the the academy is doing well and it's sort of all measured and really really well well designed you know i'm sure a lot of this stuff is happening under arteta uh, under wenger and and even probably emery but what's exciting is to is to understand that the club are working on it. <laughs> and I think so and like moving a, forward. And moving forward with the times. And something that Arsenal have definitely been accused of and probably reputationally seen as is a club kind of stuck in its history a little bit behind late to get rid of Wenger, you know, all that sort of stuff and a club that sort of lost its way a bit. And I think off the pitch and hopefully on the pitch there's some really exciting developments. And some really exciting signs that that is not the case anymore, that we are a club looking to our future and how to create our future and and better our future, both in the sense of for the current regime. But one thing that we've always championed is the fact that, look, if it doesn't work out with Mikel, he will have left a better structure in place with a better squad. And that's all you can ever really ask of a manager. That is so true. Is improve the team to the level that they can. Whether they are of the level that you wish and then you get rid of them, fine. But all you can ever ask of a manager is to improve them. And whatever you think of Arteta, and whether you're in or out or me, where I'm slightly on the fence, he has improved the team, the setup, the coaching staff, to a point where one of the biggest negatives of him being sacked is if his coaching staff go with him. And they very may may very well do. He's 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 highly and widely regarded in the game, mate. Like I'm sure every every single coach that are, all all three of them that I've looked into have nothing but unbelievable things to say about Mikel Arteta. Steve Round worked, you know, who we'll talk about in the next time we have the opportunity, uh, knew him from his time at Everton, speaks about him like he's a prodigy 
Inyaki Kanya, um, as soon as he got the call and the opportunity to to come to Arsenal, jumped at it because it was the opportunity to work with Mikel. Um, Carlos Cuesta specifically sent City um, his his a video of him doing video analysis of their game, and then got an invite by Mikel to the training session, and says that Mikel has an eye for the finer details of football. Like, he is so well thought of. Hopefully we can just see more improvement and that we can, and we can see in more layman's terms because we don't have access to behind the scenes how good he really is. Definitely. Absolutely. Well said, mate. We've just got time, Brad. For a little bit of Arsenal trivia. Last time we asked you, what are official nickname? I would like to complain because this is not Arsenal trivia, but we were play- they are we- known as the Li- I know, I know. They are known as, I believe, the Lily Whites. That is correct. We were playing them. Yeah. I know, but it's still not Arsenal trivia, isn't it? You should have called them the Lily Shites. Am I right? <laughs> That's the only fucking reason you wanted this question in, isn't it? It's actually not, that, but I, it sounds like a little did, so fucking I'm gonna gag. Deny it. I'm not going to deny it. Okay, you guys know I love a gag. Uh, and your question for next time is: Name three Arsenal official partners. Name three Arsenal official partners. Ooh. Mm. Come on. Have you been paying attention to the capitalism? Have you? Uh. Brad, that was great. Yeah. It was great to learn to learn more about the coaches and I can't wait to share. And learn more about ourselves more. in the process. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, final very, very quick thoughts because we're, we're way over on Brighton. Uh, what was the... Uh, did, no, just predictions. No, fuck it. No, no, fuck it. Predictions. 3-1 uh, to the Arsenal. Yeah. Uh, I'm going... Two, no, 2-0. 2-0. 2-0. I'm going 2-1. Another Ramsdale clean sheet. Come on, boy. I'm going 2-1. I'm not going to say to who. Right. Uh, Brad, <sighs> it's a pleasure as always. I just want Ramsdale to headbutt Mope after the final whistle. That'd be great. Have you seen all those butterfly effects of like Messi winning a... a um, what's it called? Finally winning a Copper America and like Neil Mopai presses Leno. Yeah. Love it. So good. Uh, pleasure as always. Thank you so much for listening to us. We appreciate it. We'll be back after the Brighton game. When are we recording Sunday? Uh, Sunday. Sunday. We'll have a podcast out on Sunday. We appreciate it. Thank you all who joined us as new subscribers after the North London Derby. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, thanks, guys. We Stick around. Stick around. Have fun. Popper. I was going to say Popper Molly, but don't do that. <laughs> Change of pace. <laughs> Don't know. Uh, anyway, right. Alex. I'm gonna, it's late, Brad. It's, it's late. I don't know what I'm saying. Right. It's bye-bye. Bye. I, no, I've got a thing I do, don't I? Thanks as always for listening. Keep it different, Knock, and we'll see you later. Peace. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com, find us on Twitter at DiffKnock, and visit our website, thedifferentknock.com. Thanks.
Sports Social Podcast Network.